Well, what a delightful opportunity we have as we gather as the body of Christ called First Southern Baptist Church. Today we have the privilege of being able to set aside a man for gospel ministry. He has already been laboring in that direction amongst us for the last three years. The scripture teaches us that the church body, that the elders of the church are to set aside elders, but we are to test them, we are to observe them, we are to see the fruit of their life. And then as we see that, we are then to set them aside. And so today, we have the privilege of doing that with a dear friend, a dear fellow minister of the gospel, Greg Ivey. We are grateful for his ministry among us over the last three years. And so I want you to know where we're going over the next 30 minutes or so of our worship time. I'm going to invite Greg in just a moment to come and share a brief testimony just to share with you his confidence in his call to pastoral ministry. And then I will from 1 Thessalonians issue a charge to both Greg, but we as a church body will listen in to what that text also has to say to our own lives. And then we will set Greg aside as we ordain him, and then we will commission he and Melody and their family to that gospel ministry. And then we'll invite Greg to share and lead us this morning as Pastor Greg among us this morning to lead us in communion and then we'll celebrate together in a time of reception following. So that's the order of our time together. Greg, I want to invite you to come and share with your family your call to vocational ministry this morning. Well, when my wife and I um, accepted the Lord's leaning to move down here to start a Southern Baptist Theological Seminary three years ago. Um, we had no, in, no idea what was in store for us. But we knew that He was calling us to ministry, and we knew that He was calling us to faithfulness to come and attend this school. Mm. And at the same time, He brought us to the doorstep of First Southern. Mm. And I can't say that we had any clue what we would face when we came here But I praise God that we did. I praise God that we came. I praise God for this church. And through the time at this church, um, we were challenged. We were, were encouraged. We were loved with wonderful grace. And in that time, it helped to form the calling to be a pastor. Many of you know that I'm a son of a pastor. And I can't say that, that I always respect it being a son of a pastor. But I now see the depth of that calling and the difficulty of being a father in that with my own young sons. And God in His grace has called me to do the same thing as my father. And I am proud to walk in that path. And excited to come to this day and I feel like it all culminated in this past Wednesday when I sat at the table with six other men whom I've walked with and love who challenged me and tested my doctrine and and knowledge and made it through approved Mm -hmm. walking through with these men that I love deeply who have watched and walked with me And I am thankful for that opportunity. I am thankful to be able to stand before you today. And we are excited to go to Tennessee. 
but sad to leave this family whom we've grown so close to in three years. Thank you for the privilege of walking with me through this and helping to confirm how the Lord was leading. Thank you, bro. Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Michael, and um, I would say brief greetings from the church in Indonesia. We are glad to be home. God is doing amazing things across the world, 9,000 miles away in the most uh, Muslim country in the world. Yet, God is doing amazing things right here on top of this hill called First Southern Baptist Church in Floyd's Knobs. And today, there is evidence of that as we uh, commission and uh, ordain and send out this family, ultimately the gospel ministry. Well, I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look briefly at verses 1 through uh, 12 this morning. We'll take the next few minutes to consider a model of ministry that really should be emulated among us and uh, that should also be a guide for Greg as he begins his ministry among the people at Mount Horror Baptist Church. As you turn there to Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica where he and Silas and Timothy had invested time in sharing the gospel and building the foundations of a new church. They had left Philippi where they had faced difficulty to come to a new place only to find more opposition. We find them faithful. We find them steadfast. We find them bold in Thessalonica. We find their ministry there marked by integrity and love and encouragement. And so that's what we're going to work our way through this morning. If you found our passage, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. We do that here at First Southern as a way of acknowledging that God is King and that His Word has total authority in our lives. I want us to narrow our reading at this point to verse 8. It really is the centerpiece of these 12 verses, and it is the one verse more than any other that I would want you to commit to heart and mind and memory this week. Look with me in verse 8 as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He says this, So being affectionately desirous of you... We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. This church is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we pause in this moment and we ask that your spirit would enliven your word to our hearts. God, would you shine a bright light on this word? Would you cause us to be reminded of, of what it meant for the church at Thessalonica, but also today what it means in our lives? Father, we want to be leaders. We want to be a people shaped by the truth of these words. And Father, I pray that in the next few minutes, Lord, you would speak afresh to Greg's heart, particularly, Father. May he hear these words not from a, a fellow pastor. But may he hear these words from the Spirit of God. And may they be burned in his heart and mind for the balance of his ministry. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I remember my own call to gospel ministry as a 19-year-old. It was clear. It was unmistakable that night. My commitment then is the same commitment that I hold today. My word to the Lord is wherever, whenever, whatever, My answer, Lord, is yes. 
When I said that as a 19-year-old, bent down on my knees, face in a chair, I had no idea what that would mean. As Greg said, he had no idea what it would mean for him to walk into this place, walk into the seminary three years ago. 28 years later, I'm so confident of that call on my own life. As I've repeatedly read through Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, I cannot imagine that he fully understood what his call would require of him. Yet on that day, that road to Damascus, it was an unmistakable, life-changing moment for the Apostle Paul. That day, Paul not only moved from death to life, from persecutor to proclaimer, he moved from hater to lover of the church. And I would suggest to us this morning that Paul's love for the church was in part borne out that very moment that Christ asks him a question. Christ did not say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That question had indelibly marked Paul's understanding of the nature of the church. As we read the epistles, we get a better understanding of what, church, what Paul understood the church to be and how Paul instructs us of the church. He says to us that the church is the body of Christ. He writes that to the church at Corinth and he says that we are members of that body, specially placed and gifted for the edification and for the proclamation of the gospel. He says in his writings that the church is the bride of Christ. Think about that, church. We are the bride of Christ. We are being made day by day more beautiful. And we day by day are being readied for the bridegroom to return and to take us to the wedding feast. Amen? Paul says as well that the church is the family of God. Think about it. If we are believers in Christ, we sit and stand in a special place and position. We are now called sons and daughters. We are children of the Most High God. As well, we are brothers and sisters and co-heirs with Christ, our brother. And so as I think about that, and I think about Paul's writings, and I think about Paul's not only conversion, but call to vocational ministry and gospel apostolic ministry, I think about why Paul so dearly loved the church And there are many places that we could turn in Acts and the epistles to see Paul's deep love for the church and his commitment to Christ on display. But I cannot this morning imagine a better place that captures it than 1 Thessalonians. This morning, Greg, I want you to hear how Paul translated both his love and his commitment into everyday ministry amongst God's people. And church family... I want us to be reminded of what good ministry leadership looks like amongst God's people. Particularly leaders, I'm going to ask you this morning to evaluate your own ministry in this place. Would Paul's description accurately reflect our way of living, our way of loving, our way of leading amongst this church family? In our passage this morning, we will see how these apostles lived with integrity, how they loved with deep affection, and how they led with a ministry of encouragement. What ties these 12 verses together is the imagery of the church as a family. Paul here speaks of brothers. He speaks of mothers. He speaks of fathers. 
Look with me here in verse 1 through 6 and verse 9 through 10. Paul points toward how they lived, how these apostles lived amongst this people. Their lives and their messages were marked by integrity. Look with me in verse 5 and verse 9. Paul writes, regarding their lifestyle, Paul writes, he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Verse 9, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul says here regarding their lifestyle amongst these people in Thessalonica, he says, We were not greedy. We didn't come with a greedy mindset as some of the charlatans who followed us did. No, we did not come with greed in mind to see how we could win, uh, uh, gain a windfall financially from the proclamation of the gospel. We came with no greed in mind, nor did we come lazy. We came as diligent ministers among you. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. What a strong statement. What a strong statement Paul is able to make. You're our witnesses, God also. How holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was amongst you. Paul writes regarding their lifestyle. We were righteous in all of our conduct before you. Their lifestyle was marked with integrity. Greg, the challenge is the same for you. There is no greed to be found in ministry. There is no laziness to be found in ministry. There is a need for righteousness in all of our conduct before the people. And regarding their message... Look with me in verse 1 and 2. Paul says this, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. I think of the discipline the difficulty, the persecution, the opposition that they faced in Philippi, but even more so, it seems, in Thessalonica. And so there was a boldness, even in the face of opposition, to proclaim the gospel with great clarity. Church, we, we need to be a people who boldly proclaim the gospel. It matters not the opposition that comes our way. Will we be a people who open our mouths and speak the truth of the gospel, no matter what gets pressed back. Leaders, are we going to set that model before the balance of our family? We need to be. He goes on in verse 3. He speaks here of what I would call the truthfulness encased in the teaching that Paul and Silas and Timothy brought. Verse 3, for our uh, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God 
who tests our hearts. Paul says, listen, there was clarity in our gospel proclamation. There was truthfulness in what we proclaim from the Word of God to the people, now people of God. I thought about this charge this week and it struck me. I, I could give this same charge to any type of faith community. I could give this same charge of not being greedy or lazy or having righteous conduct or enduring opposition in the midst of your proclamation to any faith community, to to any leaders of any religious organization. Oh, but (laughs) what Paul writes here in verse 4 is the difference. This is what makes gospel ministry gospel ministry. It's the content of of what we deliver to the people that matters. And here Paul says, listen, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with what? The gospel. Our message is different. Our message is the good news that Christ, the Son of the living God, came. He lived, He died, and He satisfied the wrath of God on mankind because of man's sinfulness. He rose from the dead declaring the defeat of sin, Satan, and death, overcoming that and victoriously rising from the grave and ascending and sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the Gospel. The Gospel is that we are a sinful people who can be forgiven as we place our trust and faith in that core message. Greg, my encouragement and my challenge to you, keep your gospel message clear. Keep it straightforward. Do not confuse it. And as Steve spoke this morning in his prayer, the gospel is not only for unbelievers, it is for the well-being of the church. It must be rehearsed time and time and time again. Just as we gather every single week in this place, we rehearse the gospel from the opening call to worship to the closing benediction. Gospel clarity matters. And God has given you clarity of that. He says in verse 5 that, And six, that he did not seek man's applause in this proclamation of the message. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with the pretext of greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people. Ministry leadership, it's really easy to want, to desire the affirmation of the people. And the moment that we find ourselves seeking the applause of man, we will find ourselves potentially distorting the message that we are to give because we want to tickle the ears of those who hear. The charge to you, the charge to teachers in the life of this body is don't do that. We are to stay pure and clean and clear with the message that God has called us to preach and to teach. Our applause is from God. Our applause is not from man. So may we not seek the glory from people, but may we seek to please God alone in our teaching. Pastorally, Greg, you are a brother who is being raised up to lead amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. You have been chosen and approved by God. 
Not by this congregation, by God himself. You're confirmed by this place, but you are chosen and approved by God. You are being entrusted with the gospel message that you are to teach amongst the family of God to whom you go. This will require of you, and it is required of those who lead and teach in this place that we live and that we teach with integrity. Gospel ministry requires unadulterated integrity in our lives. In verses 7 and 8, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that he and Silas and Timothy were not demanding, but they were gentle among the people. He describes their gentleness like that. I love this. How creative is this? Their gentleness like that of a nursing mother. This is the only place in Scripture that we find spiritual leadership likened and akin to that of a nursing mother. I think it's apropos. Look in verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. A nursing mother is concerned with the well-being of her child. She wants that child to be nourished. She wants the child to feel loved and safe, secure. She desires that there be a deep bond formed between mother and child. I thought this week about a mother's love. It's it's a constant love. It runs deep. It never runs out. It is marked by endurance. It is marked by hopefulness. It is marked by unending support. A mother's love contains both rejoicing on one side and rebuke when needed. A mother's love is gentle and it is strong at the same time. A mother's love often requires sacrifice on behalf of the mother. So it's appropriate that Paul says that they were like nursing mothers amongst these new believers. He goes on to write in verse 8, So being being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Pastorally, Greg, this means that you are to share the gospel and your life with those whom God has given you oversight. You are to love your people with a constant love, rejoicing with them whenever the opportunity presents itself, rebuking them when the situation requires it, always ensuring your love is both gentle and strong. This will require of you, and it is required of those who lead and teach in this place, that we love God's family as Christ has loved us. We cannot separate ourselves from the people. We must invest our lives in the people. Gospel ministry not only requires integrity, it indeed requires genuine love. Finally, Paul turns to the image of a father leading in a family. Listen to verses 11 and 12. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
Paul describes how they exhorted, encouraged, and charged each one of the Thessalonians to walk in a manner worthy of God. In other places, Paul speaks of walking in a manner worthy of your calling in Christ. Listen, there are going to be times in gospel ministry that the leader will need to exhort by bringing the word to bear on the situation, pointing the Christ follower to God's way of living calling them to repent, conform, and now walk faithfully according to the Word. Oh, there's going to be times in gospel ministry that the leader will need to encourage by spending time and speaking hope into a situation. There are times when family members, brothers and sisters, feel like their situation is utterly hopeless. And we get the opportunity not only as spiritual leaders, but as brothers and sisters to speak a word of hope and encouragement to one another. And there are going to be times in gospel ministry that the leader will need to charge the Christ follower to walk aright and to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. But I love the last line of verse 12 as it speaks to God calling His children into His kingdom and His glory. The gospel minister lives and loves and leads his people in such a way that there's this constant pointing toward the collective hope in Christ's return and our eternal lives in the kingdom of God. Paul puts here that, that future kingdom hope and part of the responsibility of spiritual leaders in our midst are to constantly point you and I toward the reality that we're to live this earthly sojourn in light of, even in all of its brokenness, we're to get our eyes up on the horizon, looking forward to, to the bridegroom's coming. We are God's people who are being shaped and formed and made a more beautiful bride, readied for His coming to us and us going to Him. So Greg, I want to encourage you this morning as a father amongst those people, constantly point them toward the hope of the full coming of the kingdom of God. That there will be a relief from suffering. There will be a refreshment of the soul. There will be a complete renewal. And there will be a salvation to sin no more. Paul knows that a father's exhortation, a father's encouragement, a father's charge to walk aright can make a difference in the life of his children. So we look toward his description of the spiritual leadership as a father leading his children, and we are reminded that gospel ministry requires a constant stream of encouragement amongst the people. Greg, as you embark on your journey as a pastor, as a shepherd amongst God's people, I want you to never forget that good gospel ministry requires your integrity both in lifestyle and in message. Good gospel ministry requires your genuine love for God's people. And good gospel ministry requires you living as an encourager among God's people, regularly pointing them toward the coming of Christ and a lifestyle focused upon the kingdom. Church leaders, teachers in our midst, 
The same is true for us. So I end this message this morning by calling us to serve this church family with integrity, with love, and with encouragement. May we walk with our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we encourage them to be conformed more fully to the image of Christ. Paul says that we are a people who are being transformed from glory to glory. And it's our responsibility to edify, to be a part of making this bride more beautiful, more readied for the coming of the bridegroom. And Greg, that's what we launch you out to do amongst a people called Mount Horror Baptist Church. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness this morning. We thank you for the reminder that Paul gives to us as he writes back to his dear friends and new believers in Thessalonica. Father, may we hear and may Greg as he goes have a gospel ministry marked by integrity and love and encouragement. Father, do your work in him, do your work through him. And do your work here in our midst that we might all be more perfectly conformed to your image. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to move toward a time of ordination. Before we do that, church body, we want you to be a part of beginning that, uh, that time of ordination. And at the end, we will close out with you being a participant in the commissioning of both Greg and Melody and their family. I draw your attention to the screen this morning, and if you would, where it speaks of congregation, if you would follow those words. And Greg, there will be a portion where you will respond as a candidate for ordination, and I'll give you a prompt as needed. Hear these words, and Jesus appointed the twelve whom he also named as apostles so that they might be with Him, and He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. What a beautiful thing. We hear the first calling of the apostles. We hear the proclamation by Peter that Christ is the Son of the living God. We hear now a church, as we'll talk about in a moment, in Antioch, sending out Paul and Barnabas for gospel 
ministry and missionary work. So this is what we do this morning as a church body. Here in the next moment, I'm going to invite our ordained men in the church, the pastors and the ordained deacons among us. I want to invite you to come this morning as well. We're going to invite now Greg and Melody to come. If uh, our deacons will set two chairs here on either side of the communion table. Once those are in place, Greg, I'm going to ask that you would sit here. And Melody, I'm going to ask that you would sit there. As well, we're going to invite the wives of our ordained men to come and to pray around Melody this morning. Uh, These men, these women will offer brief prayers of grace, of encouragement amongst us. Come, Greg and Melody. I'll invite now the ordained men to come and gather around Greg and those wives to come and gather around Melody this morning. And let me make it clear that we are ordaining Greg, of course, this morning to gospel ministry. But listen, 28 years of ministry, I am fully aware that the wife of any minister carries a heavy load. And so this morning we pray for Melody as she serves both Greg and as she will serve the body there in Mount Horeb that we want to pray that God would grant her increased grace that is more than sufficient to meet the need for the days that are coming. As we go into a season of prayer, we're going to invite you this morning as well to to pray there at your seat. Pray for both Greg and for Melody as we set Greg aside for gospel ministry and we pray for um, Melody as she comes along as a helpmate in this ministry and she will serve as a vibrant part. And Miss Ivy, this morning we are grateful for you leading and, and leading us in music in the background. So church, we go into a season of prayer and a season of setting aside this couple for gospel ministry. Men, ladies, feel free to pray at will this morning.
Well, church body, we, um, we are delighted. I know that each one of you would want to have put your hands on uh, Greg's shoulder to set him aside. And I know that all of you would have wanted to lay your hands upon Melody to bring a word of grace and encouragement spoken in her life. But here we have set aside Greg for gospel ministry, and now we commission this couple as the church at Antioch commissioned Paul and Barnabas to go forth to proclaim the gospel. So now we want to pray a a prayer of commissioning corporately. And so you're invited, if you feel comfortable participating in this way, you're invited to extend your hand as we pray a prayer of commissioning. If you want to participate that way, feel free to do so. But let's pray together as we send this couple out. Father, We come before You with grateful hearts. We're mindful of what You are doing in the life of this church. We are mindful of what You are doing in the life of this couple and this family. Father, we thank You for raising them up. We thank You for ordaining that they would come to this place and minister upon us and among us. Father, we are grateful for the love that they have exhibited, Father, and their passion for You and for Your church. Father, we now as a church body send them out. And Father, we ask that Your grace would go before them, that You would make a pathway for this couple and this family. Father, I pray that they would indeed be a diligent ministerial couple. Father, we pray that they would be a fruitful ministry couple. And Father, we pray that You would do amazing things through them for the sake of Your kingdom and your glory. And so, Father, we send them out with our prayers, our wishes, and our constant, constant vigilance to pray on their behalf. It's in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless. Amen. Greg, before you step up, and I invite you, I want to do one more thing, brother. All right. Melody, we're going to have you sit over there if you don't mind. Greg, there's two things I want to do before I invite you to be a part of our communion service this morning. I should say lead it. So on behalf of your ordination council, indeed, Greg did survive. Uh, We had all kinds of curious questions that we could have offered, and there were some zingers in the room. And uh, Greg handled all of those with uh, great skill, and uh, his passion for gospel ministry was very clear as we gathered around that table to test him verbally, but we have tested him in the three years of observing him in gospel ministry. Greg, we want to share this certificate of ordination with you on behalf of the church body. And really, as a church body, we set you aside this morning. Amen. And as well, we would uh, like to present to you a, a staff. It's, uh, I think it carries two connotations and metaphors with it. First, of course, John chapter 10, and we see the the good shepherd concept that Jesus speaks of. And what makes him good is his willingness to sacrifice. And what makes him good is his deep love for his people. And so may you walk as a shepherd. May you love, may you correct, may you chase after those who wander, and may you go after the lost sheep and bring them into the fold by God's grace. Secondly, you, like your people, are a redeemed sojourner. And you will need to walk that pathway to the the kingdom that is to come. And so may you be on that journey with Christ. And may you lead your people on that sojourn as redeemed 
individuals in Christ. And may your church body be a living temple that declares the glory of God in Tennessee. And may many, many come to faith in Christ because of your ministry there. God bless you, brother. We love you. Thank you. Amen. I can't imagine a better way for Pastor Greg to, uh, to, to lead us this morning, but to lead us in a communion service. Communion is both a reflection of what Christ has done and what Christ is going to do. But there's also something beautiful. We, separate, we celebrate it corporately. And so this morning, Pastor Greg, would you lead us in communion? When Michael asked me to lead the communion meal, um, I thought it was a wonderful way as the uh, last thing that I get to do with this church family for a little while. That Because uh, this indeed is a family meal. We, we see that Jesus brought his brothers around the table together and that he, um, he ate with them. And He reminded them of what He was about to do. And we get to come together for the same thing today. To, to remember this ancient meal. And we get to see that, that this meal consists of indeed two elements. The bread and the cup. And that the bread represents Christ's body given to us. All of us who are in Christ, His body was indeed given to us. And it says in Luke twenty two nineteen, it says, He took some bread and gave thanks for, to God for it. And then He broke it in pieces and He gave it to the disciples saying, This is My body, which I have given to you. Do this in remembrance to Me. And so, you will hear today, as we do communion, that you will come forward and you will receive the bread and you will hear said, in remembrance that Christ's body was given to you. And we see that the cup represents the new covenant between God and His people. And then Jesus says again, after the supper, He took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed with My blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. We saw that He went willingly to the cross for us. And so you will see also that there will be the cup. And as you take that, you will hear said in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you. And so today, if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are going to invite you to come and partake of the bread and the cup. And to come and see that the Lord indeed is good. And we also have a gluten-free option for those who need that. And so I ask that the deacons would come forward now to um, prepare the meal. And then we will pray.
and let us pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to remember you. To remember the sacrifice that you made for us, that that we indeed have hope. That all of our sins are washed clean in you, that, that you indeed are at the Father's right hand. And that we know one day you are coming again to make all things right. Father, as we come and celebrate this meal today, may our hearts be pure and clean. May we be right before you. May we remember all that you have done. Father, I thank you for this family and for the privilege that I've had of serving here for the last three years. In Jesus' name, amen.